Today's episode of On Shuffle is brought to you by the Riffs on Riffs podcast. Have you ever recognized a song then realized you've never heard it before? Riffs on Riffs is the new show by Evergreen Podcast that explores popular music samples. Join musicians Joe Watson and Toby Braswell as they put the spin on original and sampled tracks. From Joe Cocker and Prince to Alicia Keys and Stevie Nicks, you'll love discovering how your favorite tunes got their sound. Find Riffs on Riffs on your favorite podcast app or visit evergreenpodcast.com Welcome, welcome, welcome. Come on in and sit your ass down. It's another episode of On Shuffle. I'm your host, Micah Peters, a staff writer at The Ringer. And I am going to be talking today to my good friend and former roommate, rapper Amir Says Nothing About Mid-90s, Jonah Hill's new film that features a lot of Wu-Tang Clan and Farside. Also, I'm going to be talking about Greta Van Fleet and their new album with my colleague Lindsay Zolads. But before that, let's get into mid-90s, you posers. Jonah Hill's new movie, Mid-90s, is about falling madly in love with a hobby. It's also about the awkward time in your life when you've had enough of your real family, so you go out to find a new one. And together, those things conspire to show you a different way of life. It also highlights the intersection of skating and hip-hop culture, which didn't always feel so much like the same thing. Before, well, the mid-90s, skating wasn't really hip-hop. It was more of a punk thing, really. Now you've got Pharrell's skateboard P alter ego and Lil Wayne wearing elbow pads in the barracks. My next guest and former roommate, Amir Says Nothing, is a rapper who's toured with the likes of Evidence and Atmosphere, but before that, he was a skater and worked on Fairfax like me, and is thus uniquely equipped to help me figure out how did we get here? Amir, how you doing? <laughs> hey, we made it. We made it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, man. Uh, what's going on? What's hey, going man, on? life is good. Look at us, podcasting, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you watched Mid-90s yes. last night. Last night. I watched it over the weekend. Say you're watching the first trailer for Mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Um, feature skate film for the silver screen and you hear the scratch of wheels on pavement and then Tears by Wu-Tang comes on. Yeah. So up to this point in time, you know, it wasn't really like a hip-hop thing, but now you've got like rappers like Lil Nar Mm -hmm. who got famous off of skate videos. Yeah. Like, you know, lost the rap career off of that. So, I mean, like, when did that happen? It definitely started like when I was in high school, like when we were in high school, Lil Wayne was kind of on his thing that as far as the mainstream appeal to it mm-hmm. but as far as hip-hop goes i mean hip-hop and skating are so it's funny because they're so similar you know what i mean and they kind of were interwoven even if you go back and watch kids you know like way back in the day like i don't know what year kids came out 94 94 mm-hmm. um you know it's very like i think there's like hip-hop aesthetics in it you know what i mean like yeah. i know like uh hav is in the movie um javier nunez and he when he was a kid and, you know, he's got, like, his gold chain on and shit. He's, like, showing off. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, So yeah. the aesthetic was there from the roots. And then over time, like, companies like Zoo York and stuff, they'd have their little, like, stint with hip-hop real quick. Like, they had, like, Wu-Tang stuff and mixtapes. And they used to make their videos like that. And then, um, I don't know, Plan B had, like, Dell the home, Funky Homo Sapien um, mm-hmm. with his stuff, too. So, you know, it's, like, here and there. But now what you're seeing today is kind of, like, those little, like, 
that little breeding grown all the way up now. You right, know what I mean? Right, like, right. So you grew up skating in mm-hmm. New York, yeah? Like mm-hmm. quality of, of mid-90s is yeah. that, or a, a knock against it that yeah. I've seen is that like nothing really happens, but that's yeah. sort of the entire point. Yeah, no, it's definitely, you know what? Last night when me and my friends were leaving, I was like, I like this one better than kids in the sense of telling the story of what our lives were like. You know what I mean? Like, because kids is great, but kids is like, if you had a, you know, experience in the gnarliest day ever mm-hmm. as these kids, you know, too, a lot of stuff happens. In mid-90s, it's a lot of like, you know, just skating and they're just being kids. And that's kind of what it was like for me, you know, it's like 13, 14 years old. Like, New York City is already a very like, I feel like the parents are like, go out and be free. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a lot of freedom. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, I used to go hang out at people's, you know, apartments. Their parents wouldn't be there, da-da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like, so when I started skating, it was, like, the same thing. My dad would just be like, go in the city and skate. I used to be a camp counselor, and I would work from, like, 8 in the morning to, like, 4, and then I would go out to Manhattan from 4 to, like, 2 in the morning, uh-huh. and I did it every day. Like, mm-hmm. that was just, you know what I mean? So Yeah. And it was dope. The Big Picture podcast, yeah. which there's an episode of that where the editor in chief uh, Sean Fantasy interviews Jonah Hill. You should really listen to it; yeah, it'll yeah. change your day. I'll check um, it out. But he talks about hip hop as part of the ambiance of his of his youth, like yeah. the music that is used throughout the movie is you know the stuff that he grew up listening to. Yeah. Music is a huge part of my life. As much as film is, you know, I am not a musician in any way. Again, I am just, you know, a large part of wanting to be a filmmaker for me is having music be presented the way that I associate it with. Mm -hmm. So there might be songs or music that you associate with certain things that they match the feeling or experience in in your life. And people, I think, can feel when that is true. And it is just throughout the movie, like when they're doing random things, when they're doing nothing at all, when they're running from the cops, but yeah. also when they're just sitting around in the skate shop. So Yeah, it's like um, the background music for sure. Yeah, what was the best drop in the movie in your opinion? Ooh, the, I really liked obviously like the far side joints that you heard and like Big L, you know what I mean? Hey yo, you better flee hops or get your head flown three blocks. L key rappers hearts pumping like D box. And every year I gain clout in my name sprout. Some brothers will still be born just the crack never came out. These are things that like back when I had like an iPod or like a Zune, you know, I had like Sony fucking. <laughs> Shit, MP3 I used play. to have a Zune. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to be like out in the city with my headphones in listening to Nas and Farside and Gangstar, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. especially like all that like boom bap. New York music was very like a part of the lifestyle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it was it's it definitely like grew together cuz I think like a lot of the skate videos used to have the songs in them and stuff, but mm-hmm. it was before hip hop was like this major business still and they could still a lot of reasons they had those songs in them is cuz they could afford them. You know what right, I mean? Like right, right. So they hit up Rockus or somebody, they have connects or um like LP that's from Run the Jewels like a lot of his music was in skate videos and all this stuff. Okay, so Let's let's mm-hmm. back up a second. Mm-hmm. I know because like we have watched we watched skate videos together yeah. in the apartment we used to have. Yes, but yes. describe a skate video to me for the listeners yeah. like I've never seen one. Okay, a skate video is essentially like it's you know an hour or so of everyone on the team putting together their best 
three, four minutes, and it's divided into parts. Mm -hmm. And each person has a part that's like, whatever, three minutes, four minutes. They have a song, usually the song they pick, or it's a reflection of, you know, their kind of personality. Mm -hmm. And they're compiled together almost like a highlight reel for the team. And it's the videos back in the day were like, the thing that sold the brand, you know what I mean? Sold the boards, like you watched it, you got the new video and you like, you watch that thing until like the next one came out, it could be five years and you're still watching, you know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of us still watch videos that came out when we were kids, you know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. DC video, girl, yeah, right. Like mouse, all these things that people, these classic videos, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, and that's really what it is straightforward. It's just like, almost like a, the highlight reel of the team, what they've been doing the past you know, a couple of years and the best part used to be they'd have premieres and the premiere would be this big crazy party. You know, obviously skaters getting drunk and doing, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> good times. Another thing that happens in yeah. the movie, like over the course of it, spoilers, not really, they make a skate, they make a, they make a skate video, escape video. skate mixtape or yep. whatever. Mm -hmm. There are all of these different things that, that the characters get out of it. Mainly you think about Ray being like, this is his way of becoming a pro skater. Yep. Uh, fourth grade, the the videographer is just like I want to act. I want to make like you know actual movies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The main character, Sunburn, uh, Sonny Suljak, uh, he basically gets the sense of community out of it, yeah. and that's another thing that I was watching Illegal Civilization two. Yeah. Um, by Mikey Alfred, who shout out Mikey, shout out Mikey, <laughs> who basically helped Jonah Hill. Yeah kind of craft the vibe of like it the movie like feels like it's close up everything is very Authentic. tight in front like yeah. the aspect ratios are very like skate video yeah no no for sure um i like that they filmed it with like a it looked like a 90s movie yeah you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah. why do skating and hip-hop go together so well they share the same like experience in the world you know what I mean? Because, like, if you think about early hip-hop coming from a place of being rejected by what is considered the world, you know what I mean? Or what's considered the mainstream or what's considered the, the what everyone else is doing, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And hip-hop, like skating, was like this thing that certain like-minded individuals did on the side, and if you knew, you knew. You know what I mean? Like, you could see someone across the street and be like, uh, he knows what's up just based off his T-shirt or something like that or his shoes, just like skating. You know, you'd be in the mall and you could see, like, the other kid at school the first day that has holes in his shoes. You're like, ah, oh, he skates too. I got <laughs> I gotta get to know him. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. And I think that they understand each other in that sense. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm -hmm. kind of, it's kind of, especially back then, like, it's like grittier. It's a little dirty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yep. it's the thing that people are like, ah, those skater kids are like, ah, those rap kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, ah, I don't hang out with those kids. Like, they're a little crazy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, it also has to do with the, it's both of their sort of contempt for authority. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what it's, it's that rebellious, like, rejection to the system that they both kind of, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. when you're skating, like, and you got that, you know, you got something that's, Bumping through your headphones like fuck man da 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 f this f that you know what I mean like yeah. it 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 just works you know what I mean like what was the most impactful skate video you say that if you can choose just one which one would you say it was on me or the culture I mean like on you on me ah oh, man I mean my favorites are like trans world first love 
the DC video, which I still own and like watch all the time from time to time. Like, you know, like those You're the only really person I know that still has like stacks of, like only person you know, my age that still has stacks of DVDs. You know, I keep the DVDs on deck, baby. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Listen, I like, I grew up, you know, the one of the best parts of mid 90s was, was when he was, when his brother leaves his room and he's going, looking at all his CDs and everything like that. And man, like, Going to my uncle's house, being at my parents' house. My dad mm-hmm. had all the CDs, you know? And I used to, like, it sucks with, like, the internet's great. I just hate that sometimes, like, we've been robbed of, like, the opportunity to have, like, this really sick room full of, like, collection. You know what I mean? Because that, yeah. that speaks volumes to who you are. And, and it was this way of, like, showing people, like, yeah. Listen, look at my CD collection. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, look at all, I got all the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, like, I think that that's also some of the, the narrative that's been around, like, the press for the movie. Like, yeah. again, Joe Hill was talking about how he wouldn't allow cell phones on set. Yeah. Because, like, it was just, you force you to be in those moments yeah. of, like, when you're uncomfortable and you have to talk about the thing. Yep. It's just kind of, you know, valuable to see like to have to look into the face of somebody that you've hurt or yeah. somebody that is hurt or whatever mm-hmm. but yeah those are good ones and then as far as the culture goes mm-hmm. i mean it depends obviously based on generation because there's like mouse for the kids who are like you know like pros like paul rodriguez and stuff they grew up on mouse which was like guy mariano and you know what i mean and like yeah and plan B, like, virtual reality, I think. Uh-huh. Um, it's a little earlier than my time. But then, like I said, for guys like me, it was like, yeah, right. It was like, I think, yeah, right. For everyone who is a skater who's my age, yeah, right was our big, like, the girl video. You know what I mean? Because right, every right. time girl came out with videos, they were always the heavyweights. They were like, because certain videos, you know, whether you were into, like, Zero or whether you were into Plan B... You know, the people who weren't like those people were like, eh, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, eh. <laughs> yeah. when the girl video dropped, it was like, you know what I mean? Like, Fully Flared came out when we were in high school, and I remember that, like, changed the way all my friends, like, they all started wearing the same lakais. <laughs> they all started doing, you know what I mean? Start skate like Mike Moe, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. So, yeah. Let's, you know, pivot this back to your career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, how did it go from skating to rapping like was there some sort of inflection point yeah well you know what when i was doing the whole skating thing and like filming and and, you know what i mean Mm -hmm. sponsors and blah 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 like you know it was great i was doing that but what happened is i just had some personal stuff happen in my life and around that time that kind of was in that same time where you know like i was going to college too and like my folks are like you know oh what are you doing and dealing with a bunch of personal stuff, loss and things like that. And I've had this like, you know, reevaluation of life and what I was trying to do. And for me, I felt like I had like a lot to express, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. like to get off of myself. And that's kind of what made me start pivoting to music more was just seeing like, you know, listening to music and getting really in touch with it. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. because at the time in my life, things were happening it was like the words and the music was really speaking to me. Like I probably cried to a song for the first time, like around that time. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So, uh-huh. and then one thing led to another and I just was like, all right, I'm going to do this full speed, you know? Right. And then it's been kind of crazy because it's come, it's come around, you know, music and skating, like me being sponsored by Supra. You know what I mean? Like right. it's like right, right. kind of funny how 
I've accomplished things as a rapper that like I was trying to accomplish as a skater. So there's this really good piece that everybody should go find on long form. It's by Juan Vidal and it's called Raised by Hip Hop. And he basically yeah. talks about hip hop and skating as outlets for aggression, for feelings mm -hmm. that you can't really you don't really know how to process in a different way. Yep. And there's a really good quote in there that says, when you're young, it's permissible to have these gaps in your logic to act out and never bug over potential repercussions. Everything is about the moment and how to squeeze more out of it for its own sake. Yeah. Like when I first moved out to Los Angeles and I was, we were on Fairfax yep, working at that beginnings. coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> This guy that used to work at Supreme that gave me like my first and only skateboard. Yeah. And I mean, like I only rode it, rode it a few times, but I remember the thing is that like falling, like taking your first hit yeah. and then realizing that you're like, it's kind of like the same thing as like being punched in the face for the first time where it's just like, you're not made of glass. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it's that ethos, which is just kind of like, try it, see how it works out. Yeah. yeah. I just was thinking about that in terms of your story about, I'm going to go with this music thing full bore. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. Like, I think that a lot of my principles that I've applied to being a musician have come from me being a skateboarder. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, in the sense of like, you know, just going for it, pushing, being self-motivated. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. when I moved to LA, I moved here by myself. You know what I mean? When I used to go skate out in New York, I would meet up with people, but mm -hmm. I left my house by myself and I would just jump on the train and go to Union Square like every day, you know what I mean? Or go mm -hmm. buy Supreme or whatever back in the day. And and uh, a lot of that is like, you know, how I've moved in as a musician is like, just do it. It's one of those things where like when you do it, like I played soccer, I played all these sports, you know, but when you skate, it like really, really becomes like a part of a lifestyle because it's a mindset. Yeah, there's a scene you know in, I mean? in mid-90s where Olin Prennan, who plays the, yeah, the character function, <laughs> is talking about how, you know, like riding a skateboard does something to your spirit, yeah. like that sort of thing. No, it's real. Another thing that Joan Hill said on the Big Picture podcast was that yeah. he wasn't really worried about the critical response to the movie. He was terrified of what skaters were going to think of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. that was what mattered the most. Yeah. Do you do you think that it delivered? I'm going to say yes, I think it did deliver. Mm -hmm. I've, uh, I'm a critic on that. The portrayal of skating has always been ridiculous, and I think that I could tell from the trailer that it was going to be on point because uh -huh. the aesthetic was there. He did what you're supposed to do, which is you make a movie about people who skate. You don't make a movie about skating, but it's about skating in that way because they're skaters. It's a lifestyle, like, and he definitely knocked out of the park. Shout out Jonah Hill. Fuck. <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. Is all there is left Fuck to say about shit. this movie. So, OP, thank you baby. very much, Amir, for joining me to talk about mid nineties hey. and skate videos and rap music. I really appreciate it. Hey, man, thank you for having me. Of course. You know. 2018, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I sit the dumb peak watching Gandhi till I'm charged and writing in my book of rhymes. All the words past the margin. The whole of mic I'm throbbing. Mechanical movement. Understandable smooth shit that murderers move with. The thief's theme. The thief's Play theme. me at night, they won't act right. The fiend of hip hop has got me stuck like a crack pipe. Today's episode of On Shuffle is also brought to you by YouTube Music. We've all found ourselves down a rabbit hole on YouTube. There's so much music to discover there. You can spend hours exploring new songs and artists. And now there's an app to make it all so much easier. 
YouTube Music is a brand new music streaming service, combining everything you expect from a streaming service with the magic of YouTube to bring it all to life. YouTube Music makes it easy to find the music you're looking for, official albums, singles, music videos, live performances, even covers and remixes. Don't know the song's name? Search by the lyrics. It's that easy. The YouTube Music app gives you recommendations based on taste, location, and time of day. You can easily find the music trending around you no matter where you are. And with YouTube Music Premium, it's even better. Get ad-free music that plays with the screen off or while other apps are loading. Finally. Enjoy your music whenever you want it, even when you're offline. Download the new YouTube Music app today and start a free 30-day trial. Then enjoy music for just $9.99 a month. Terms and restrictions apply. YouTube Music, it's all here. So this new album of rock music came out over the weekend. It's not really rock music so much as rock music. It's uh, the new Greta Van Fleet album that everybody's kind of crazy about. It's a lot of screeching, a lot of North American mystic garb, and uh, it's kind of confusing as to why it's succeeding now in 2018. And my colleague Lindsay Zolads wrote about it on TheRinger.com this week. Great website. And she's here to explain it to me. Lindsay, how are you doing? I'm good. <laughs> Ready good. to rock. <laughs> Ready to rock. So, I mean, could you give me basically the elevator pitch for Greta Van Fleet? I, because, I mean, it basically, and you reference this in your piece, like if you read anything about them on the internet, you will come across... Some kind of comparison to Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Maybe a fun thing to do would be if I can talk about them without using the words Led Zeppelin. Let me try. (laughs) So Greta Van Fleet are uh, a rock band from Michigan, from Frankenmuth, Michigan. They are three brothers who, two of whom are twins and are 22 years old, the lead singer and the guitarist, and then their 19-year-old brother. So these guys are young. I think that's... Number one fact to know about them, Mm -hmm. they have been in this band for like five years, so they started it very young, and with the blessing of their parents and the music that their parents grew up with, um, which is... (laughs) Some of only some of which is a certain band I will not mention. Uh, <laughs> You're doing great so far. Thank you. They had an EP out last year called Black Smoke Rising, which a phrase of which reminds me of a band that is not Led Zeppelin, so I can say them. Creedence Clearwater Revival, another <laughs> band that I think they um, call to mind. And yeah, they just put out their debut album, Anthem of the Peaceful Army. Uh, Anthem of the Peaceful Army. So you have another anecdote in your piece where I can't remember what profile it was from, but it's the image of one of the Kiska brothers talking about their dad bringing home Black Key's magic potion and them kind of marveling at the fact that, oh, this is music that was made now. This is is something that people are doing out there. This is contemporary music. That is also a kind of quality that carries into their own music. Like before, you know, like we hopped on the air, I was talking to our producer, Kai, and I started playing like the first record from the album uh, Age of Men, 
And I asked, I asked her, what what year do you think this is from? And she said, uh, 1970-something. And I was just like, nope, this year. Yeah. Is Which, it, I, that yeah. is not the worst song. I will, I will give them that. That song is sort of spacier and reminds me a little bit of My Morning Jacket to cite a contemporary band. Mm-hmm. It's the least sort of classic rock leaning, but that's not saying a ton. Yeah. Is there something other than just old school revivalism happening here? Or is is that it and there's nothing more or nothing on top of it and nothing underneath it? The conversation around them is really interesting. And to my mind, because I'm not really a fan of this band, I find the, the questions that they bring up about rock music in 2018 to be more interesting than the record itself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they are this band that, you know, counter to the narrative we have about streaming. And if you're young these days, you have access to all of the music in the world and all these different genres from all different time spans. And these are a group of 19 to 22-year-olds who are rejecting anything, you know, past 1975 and that is not the Black Keys. And who are actively sort of scorning the music that they hear uh, around them on the radio, which includes obviously hip hop and, you know, music made by people who are not white, which is a whole other conversation here. Um, But I think what they're bringing up is like they're the limited influence and how sort of rare that is. And is that, accurate to a sound of being a young person in a band in 2018. And I think in a lot of ways, they've had to be really deliberate to not have more modern influences come into their music. It's I think that's the kind of the craziest thing about them is how closed off they seem from anything that was made in any of the years since they've been born. (laughs) You ask... I mean, like, really the only question, well, the most important question that everybody seems to have about this band, which is why does it need to exist now? Like, what purpose does it serve? The party line that I keep hearing about this band is that you have to see them live, which admittedly I have not and had not when I when I wrote the review of the album. But they're talked about a lot as as a good live band. There is a performance. They were on Fallon a couple weeks ago, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't particularly sold by that. But I can see sort of being in the room, and especially if you're of a generation where you've never seen a live rock band. I We have to qualify, too. Like, I'm talking about mainstream rock music. I think they have the major label resources, and that's kind of a throwback thing about them, too, is they're the idea of, like, a big rock band like this. I think there's fantastic and really interesting rock music being made a little bit under the radar and a little bit under the mainstream that is getting a lot of, you know, attention um, relative to the indie sphere so this, when I'm talking about rock music, I kind of mean, you know, in the old school AOR format that this band is harkening back to. But yeah, their tour, their upcoming tour is mostly sold out dates of playing two and 3,000 capacity venues, which is 
pretty big for, you know, a band just releasing their first album. So I do think that, you know, especially when you see a band live, if they can command a room and there's something about the performance, then you can kind of overlook sometimes the flaws of the record or if something feels derivative. So to me, they are made to be a live experience. That's what I've heard. I can't vouch for that personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting. That feels very counter, again, to this idea that we're living in the Spotify age and that streaming music is something that people do kind of passively and in their own homes. Um, I think in some ways the most throwback thing about them is this idea that it's all about the live show and not the the part of it that you can experience at home so much. You called attention to this as well. Every song seems to like begin with this kind of ominous guitar riff and like screeching, wailing, pronouncing that rock is coming. It's something big and and ridiculous, but there's something enjoyable about it that I think that you doesn't translate to the recording of the, the, the recorded versions of the songs. Yeah, something I didn't get to mention in the piece too that I thought was kind of funny was they, at least the story that they've told interviewers is that Josh, the lead singer, um, started singing in sort of a lower and less screechy register when they were first starting out and the other members of the band were apparently playing so loud that to be heard over them, he had to <laughs> scream like that. <laughs> and that's how he like realized that he could hit those Getty Lee falsetto notes. Um, so <laughs> that was kind of funny to me. <laughs> yeah, I, it's kind of like that, uh, that one story about uh, like the St. Lunatics going into a record meeting and like Nelly was rapping just like regular. And then some some exec was just like, why don't you use that weird voice you used on that one song? And then that became his whole style. Like, Wow. That's the first time the St. Lunatics have ever been compared to Greta Van Fleet, too. Let the record show. You, you really found a through line. <laughs> well, I, I am proud of it. I gave at least five seconds of thought to it. Um <laughs> So are there any, like, essential songs on the album? I mean, like, are there any songs on the album that you enjoyed without complication? Like I said, the the first song is not bad. I think that is something that I'd like to see them lean into on future albums is not... I think they're more interesting when they give themselves a little bit more space to get kind of more like really leaning into the stoner rock thing and and doing the epic, like maybe leaning into the Pink Floyd influence a little bit more, which Mm -hmm. I don't hear. But yeah, the first song is kind of, it's so bombastic and spacey and a little more atmospheric than just the crunchy riffs and trying to write sort of verse, chorus, verse. Um, But yeah, that's... (laughs) That's the compliment. (laughs) So the idealized version of this band you're saying is like the first Tame Impala record. If that's what they want to aim for, sure. (laughs) I I would listen to that. (laughs) Uh, Lindsay, thank you very much for coming on the pod to explain this phenomenon to me. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Of course.
That's it. That's all we got. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to Lindsay Zolads and Amir for joining me. Shout out to my producers, Zach Mack and Bobby Wagner. Also, special shout out to my producer, Zach Mack, who is leaving the show this week. It's been fun crafting this thing with you. It's been real. It's been fun, but it ain't been real fun. I'm kidding. I'm going to miss him a lot. Don't forget to check out our playlist and we will be updating every week with the songs that we're listening to. A link to that is in the description. Also, please rate and subscribe if you like the show, but only if you like the show. We'd really appreciate it. Peace. See you next week.